Okay, so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open to the book of John, chapter 15, and we will be reading from John 15, verses 12 through 15. So if you're there now, I'll be reading this from the New American Standard. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Father, we thank you that you have gathered this part of your body around your word this, this morning, your precious word. All will look and see the creation which testifies to your divinity and your eternality and they will say, where have these trees, where is this sea, where does this all come from? And it testifies to you, but until we open the perfect Word of God, infallible, do we know then, even from the very beginning, in the beginning God created. All of this is from God. And then we can be led to the foot of the cross by your mercy upon us and finally end up in that glorious place of bowing our knee and saying, yes, I am lost, I am guilty. And there is Jesus upon that cross paying for my sin. And I believe. So thank you this morning, Lord, for your glorious word. Help me, Lord, to expose it properly to your precious people. Amen. So these verses are part of Jesus' many words to his disciples, recorded by John, while they are in the upper room just hours before Jesus is arrested. He has promised to send the Holy Spirit after he has left. They must remain in him, the vine, to bear fruit. They must keep his commands to abide in his love, and if they want his joy to be theirs, then these verses we just read. Jesus says here, his commandment is to love one another, and the way that love is expressed is, as I have loved you. Love each other the way Jesus does, and then Jesus continues, greater love 
has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And there he points to his coming crucifixion and that highest expression of love, laying down one's life for his friends. It's a familiar verse for many. And as he ends that sentence, he calls them, for the first time in the scriptures, hours before the cross, he calls them his friends. Then he tells them the evidence of being friends is to do what Jesus commands, and that he can call them friends, since all he has heard from the Father he has made known to them. So, this morning we are focusing on being a friend of Jesus. Jesus, he is many things to us. Believers would likely first say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Very important, since if he is your Lord, he thus insists upon obedience. Of course, him being your Savior comes first and is at the core of the gospel. Yet he cannot be your Savior if he is not then also your Lord. We could go on and on with many words which describe Jesus and our relationship to him. Things like prophet, priest, and king, helping us to understand how we relate to Christ. Note, too, there are many words which describe Jesus, but they aren't typically used in describing a relationship. Jesus is a rock, a cornerstone, a true vine, the bread of life. And today we are looking at a very important relationship we believers have with our God, our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, as a friend. Now, at some point, a believer may have thought of the God they have come to know who created the universe, created us, is the ultimate king and lord and master, thought the idea that he is also my friend may be a bit too chummy for someone so high and lifted up. And it is true, some will take the fact Jesus is a friend of every believer and use the word friend to think of Jesus more like any other human friend. So then we can end up with Christian trends attempting to be helpful proclaiming Christ, like Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus is my co-pilot, and some may say, no big deal, but we must be very careful to see how the scriptures define our friendship with God just like any other way of describing our relationship with God who took on the nature of a man. So what is a friend as we think of it day by day? One dictionary says it is a person with whom one has a bond of mutual affection, exclusive of romantic or family relationships. Others, it is someone with common interests, a person you're comfortable being with, who is transparent with you, loyal, committed to your good, 
who's got your back, puts up with your warts. Those all sound accurate, but people sometimes throw the word around loosely. They may simply know someone, an acquaintance, but when it increases a person's stature in front of others, oh, her again, she's a friend of mine. Not at all a friend like the one in our text this morning. Meanwhile, what does the Bible say about friends and friendship? Well, if we go with the biblical definition of love, a true friend is someone who you love in the mind, the heart, and in deeds. And in our text this morning, we see just that. Jesus starts out saying, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And the disciples know he has been constantly showing those in the upper room and everyone else his love right up to that moment. So it is not a simple command Jesus gives them to love others the way Jesus does. And then he continues with, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So here, as we said, Jesus, for the first time in the scriptures, and he's only going to be with them a few more hours before he is crucified, here he calls his disciples his friends. He is, of course, speaking of his coming death on the cross, his laying down his life for his friends, his willingly going to the cross unjustly and in total innocence by the hands of lawless men, showing the full extent of his love, giving his life for the sins of his disciples and for all those who would, by faith alone, believe on that sacrifice to atone for their sins the Father's great wrath due to us, but poured out upon his Son, so that by saving faith in Christ and his sacrifice, we are forgiven and become children of God. In fact, we become friends of Jesus. He has laid down his life for one who repents and believes his friend. Then he goes on to tell us what characterizes what does a friend of Jesus look like? You are my friends if you do what I command you. So right there we see Jesus. He is not your usual friend like we are to each other. Usually a person doesn't just do what their friend commands them. Unless you're an elder under the pastor. Job, he had many friends. At least that's what we usually call them, his friends. They gave him all kinds of advice and even what could be called a few commands. And in the end, his friend's help didn't work out so well. But Job, he was surely a friend of God. We know God had at least a few friends in the Old Testament, like Moses. Moses had a tent outside the camp where he would talk to the Lord. Exodus tells us, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face 
to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses was told the Lord had found favor with him. And Moses' response is, if so, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And so as God's friend, Moses wants what? To know the ways of the Lord. And what about Abraham? God called him his friend. Abraham, my friend. James, he gives us one of the main reasons for God's friendship with Abraham. And really all those with faith, James writes of our obeying God's commands, showing our friendship with God. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So, Abraham obeyed like he was a friend of God. You might remember when the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, Abraham is told Sodom is about to be destroyed, and then he starts in with what some would think is a bit irreverent, challenging at length the Lord's plan, although with the usual biblical graciousness, to destroy all when there may be righteous people in Sodom. Abraham is talking to the Lord like a friend, but some readers might think that's mighty bold to be challenging the Lord like that. Takes us to the next part of our text this morning. After Jesus saying, you are his friend if you do what he commands, he continues. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. God did tell Abraham what he was about to do. And so Jesus tells his disciples there in the upper room what he is about to do. They are not just slaves doing commands, but also friends brought into close fellowship and understanding of what it is to be a follower and worshiper of Christ. To know those things Jesus himself heard from the Father then he tells the disciples he chose them to go and bear fruit, loving one another. Do they right then know everything? Jesus shortly says, The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So there is more for them to know. After the resurrection, there will be greater understanding, and you start to see it on the road to Emmaus immediately after Jesus' resurrection. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Then Jesus spends 40 days after his resurrection speaking and teaching with the disciples, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The New Testament writers are guided by the Holy Spirit composing the scriptures. So, God has and continues to make known to his slaves, who he now also calls his friends, the greater understanding. And of course, we have here in front of us the full revelation of the scriptures, so then we can be really friendly with God. Now, when Jesus says he no longer calls them slaves but friends, does this mean they are no longer slaves but just friends? Now they are spiritual chummies, a sentimental and equal care for each other? should be apparent that would not bring greater glory to our Lord, but less. So, let's look at this word slave here for a minute. This is the Greek word doulos, which basically means slave. Here in the New American Standard, which I am mostly reading from today, they are referred to as slaves, but the ESV translates this word as servant, which they do in many places. Using the New American Standard this morning, I think, <clears throat> helps us to better see the contrast, how amazing it is Jesus no longer calls them slaves, but friends. The slaves of Christ the extremely negative connotation of slavery we Americans have today, which does not include a full understanding of slavery in biblical times. It helps to lead to using the word servant rather than a slave when the Greek word is doulos and we say of ourselves we are servants of Christ. When I was a young Christian hanging out with the bros, we would readily refer to each other as slaves, as doulos. Are you a slave too? Yes. How long have you been a slave of Christ? And it actually felt really good to be called that because we knew full well prior to that we were the other kind of slave, slaves to sin as Paul tells us. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So there are each person's choices, their options on whom to obey. Slave to one or the other, Christ or sin. Jesus, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Bob Dylan, you gotta serve someone. Do believers never sin? Of course they do sin, but with, as Paul says, with godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. But as unbelievers, in that slavery to sin, they are actually slaves to a master, but it's the wrong one. It's a roaring lion. 
the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, as John tells us in his epistle. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, parenthesis by me, ongoingly and unrepentantly, in parenthesis, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So we are born into slavery, the slavery of sin. And apart from Christ, we continue in that slavery. And we have a lot of help in that slavery from the devil, the father of lies. Jesus said this to the Pharisees, but in all harshness it corresponds to unbelievers who are the slaves to sin. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So using the word slave can, very, can be very helpful in the contrast. It really is horrible to be a slave a slave to sin and the wrong master, but with a new heart given to us by Christ through faith in him being born again, our slavery does not end. Instead, it is gloriously transformed from the worst possible news, eternal death, to the best possible news. Paul tells us in the ESV, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But just saying I'm a slave of Christ doesn't sound right and actually is not the whole story as our text tells us. A typical slave, he may live in fear of punishment at the mercy of his earthly master. He must obey his master even with no knowledge of why or what the point is. So don't get this wrong. We believers are still fully and completely slaves of Christ in the sense of obedience. But much more than that, we are also friends. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So as slaves of Christ, we have a very different relationship than an earthly slave with an earthly master. We do not live in that kind of fear. Yes, we fear the Lord, but not that way. We turn from sin that brings death and we know our punishment was paid on the cross by Jesus. And he is no whimsical earthly master who may strike without cause. No, we obedient slaves have been elevated to being a friend of Christ. We are an intimate of the master, the king, not by our choice, but by his. These disciples had learned from the Father through Jesus, so they knew what their master was doing. Of course, like we said at that moment, they did not understand everything. Jesus told them that night, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Guide His apostles, and ultimately that truth is here in the Bible. So we who read it as modern, current-day slaves, we should have a really good understanding of all things that I have heard from my Father. He has indeed made them known. I'm not saying we have everything figured out and understand all God does. Let's be honest. He is difficult to figure out sometimes, many times, lots and lots of times. But that's okay, since he is 100% always good and loving to believers. But a slave obeys when the master commands. A regular earthly slave says, Oh no, here comes my master. But one who is also a friend of the master Jesus Christ says, Oh good, here comes my master. A simple slave does what he is told, but a friend is told why. Slaves obey mostly due to fear of punishment. One who is also a friend, he wants to as well. A true friend of the king obeys him from the heart, not just obligation. The simple slave waits to be summoned to come before the master, but the master's friend is welcome to come often and freely. The slave just serves the king as food, but a friend of King Jesus will also get to eat with him. Just a slave? He says, I must do these things. A true friend says, I get to do these things. So all of that tells us it's wonderful to say, I am a slave of Christ and also a friend. That's why we can appreciate the way the New American Standard sometimes translates the Greek word for slave as bond servant, and it does when a writer of the scriptures refers directly to himself. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are more than just servants. They are bonded to Christ. It's a permanent position after being born again, after being crucified with Christ. All rights have been signed away. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So if being called a slave of Christ seems a bit too much, then call yourself a bondservant of Christ. Either way, it is not legalism because you are also a friend of Christ. And unpleasant slavery is always waiting for us to return and Weariness and ungodly desires or simply wrong teaching we accept. Okay, yes, I'm a slave and I got to do this stuff. I got to carry this yoke of Christ day after day because I may have forgotten 
I am also a friend of Christ, a close personal friend of the master. You know, the one who is gentle and humble in heart. Because friends of God, they can always approach God's throne of grace with confidence so they can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, he had many friends while he was here in the midst of his daily ministry. How? Because he was a friend of sinners and he was constantly surrounded by them. But some Jews would try to say insulting things about Jesus and the way he went about his ministry to those friends. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you, you Jews, say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But part of their intended insult was actually one of the few times they got something right about Jesus, said what was true about him. In fact, they nailed it, his very mission, to be a friend of sinners, to seek and save the lost, not the healthy, but the sick. Not the righteous in their own goodness, but sinners. Are these the same kind of friends of Jesus like in our text this morning? But I have called you friends? No, not yet. But by his mission of being a friend of sinners, by his mercy on them, their slavery to sin would be transferred over to him to righteousness. They could die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds on the cross, they could be healed, become true friends of their new master. Jesus, a friend to these sinners, and by his mercy upon their souls through his teaching, then friends of Jesus. The great sinner, Zacchaeus, was a chief tax collector and very rich by theft. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I, Jesus, must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. That was fast. Sinner to saint, friend to friend. James, he tells us about the opposite kind of friendship we can have, a very common one. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So can we make the world into a true friend? Well, if a friend is this, an affectionate bond between two as they journey through life with openness and trust, then yes, definitely, open to the wonders of worldly living and trusting in all it has to offer to bring happiness, joy, and contentment. Meanwhile, for people who live that kind of friendship, it's hard for us believers to be true friends with hearts bonded together Friends, yes, as Jesus was a friend of sinners, 
As a believer, the core of your being is changed, transferred to another kingdom from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And in that kingdom, we have our true friends. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So does the sweetness of a friend that comes from his earnest counsel. That is a good one when we share life as believers. Maybe even when someone needs three loaves of bread, but we're already in bed. Friend, lend me three loaves. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Do we get the loaves because we are a friend or until we get worn out from the asking? So together, we believers turn each other toward God, hopefully, as we live life together as friends. Yes, we love other things together. Maybe we love hiking or biking. Maybe we love snakes and lizards. Maybe we love sports. Maybe we love some college football with enduring patience and future hope. But we love the glory of God a heck of a lot more. We love salvation of souls. We love the good things God loves together. If we are really fortunate, we can have amazing friends like Jonathan and David. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Or Naomi and Ruth. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And Paul and Timothy, as they work together, proclaiming the gospel. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. We love reading about those kind of friendships, probably because they are more rare than we care to admit. But we friends have a kind of joy together which is unique to believers, probably has a lot of this. Keep persevering with me because we're going to be praising God together in the resurrection forever someday. Years ago and for several years, I lived with my friend and roommate, a Fuller Seminary graduate like our pastor, James Putney, who pastored some at our church. James, he had Marquio syndrome from birth, and he was only three feet tall with twisted arms and legs and it was painful to walk. He couldn't drive, so on Sunday nights we would go to the supermarket to each get our stuff. And I just remember as we walked around joking and laughing, if you knew James, you know what I mean, watching him push his towering cart around with his cane in the basket, Something in me was always joyful, knowing he was going to get a new body someday, and I would be there to see it. 
James died 10 years ago. And I was sad, but I kept my joy to myself, thinking, I really shouldn't be that happy. He died. But I was so happy for my friend. We used to do what believers do. Encourage each other to persevere. Give an account to each other just by watching the way we live. Praying together and relishing the thoughts of that glorious final day. But sin is always there. Even in the best of friendships. Adam lived in perfect friendship with God, but he was alone, friendless in the human sense. So God created Eve, and he had a perfect friend and romance, but then sin. And immediately, the man and his wife hid themselves. And their relationship? The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. But even the best of our friends, even those with whom we are knit together, they cannot call us friends like Jesus can. A friend you would do everything to help in time of need. As Christians, what do we say to them? I'll pray for you. And right there we admit, we say, I'm not the ultimate helper. God is your ultimate helper. He is the perfect friend since he is perfect. He will always tell you the truth. Just read his word and see what it says about you. And all it says, it's wonderful because he already knows all which is in you. And in everything, he is constantly working holiness in believers, pruning for better fruit, doing only good to his friends. John takes us to the upper room before Jesus is arrested. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Loved them to the end perfectly. Really loved them from beginning to end. Loved them by calling them to be his disciples. Loved them by the example of washing their feet by telling all the Father had given him, calling them his friends, and then going to the cross to die a horrible death, taking God's wrath due them and us for sins, going to prepare a place for believers, sending the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, now answering the prayers of his children, his friends, giving them and us those times of filling with joy so we can be strong until the end and in the end coming back to take us to him forever. The Apostle Paul, at first, he was no friend of Jesus. But when the time came for Jesus to befriend Paul, he introduced himself by knocking Paul to the ground and blinding him. And his immediate plan for his new friend Paul was this. 
I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. But after being his friend for many years, Paul was convinced he really had only one friend, capital F, friend, a friend very unlike you or me or anyone else, that my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. That's Paul, friendless in a Roman prison. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul's way of laying down his life for his friends, showing the great love God put in his heart for the kind of people he used to hate and persecute. And for Paul, ultimately each time, the perfect promise of the Lord fulfilled again and again, never to leave, never to forsake. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Jesus had a close friend in Lazarus. Lazarus got called out of whatever he was doing to be a disciple and a friend, a close friend of a basically homeless man who had no place to lay his head, hated and then crucified by the leaders. And Jesus appointed his friend Lazarus to be sick, to die, and spend four days in a tomb, be raised from the dead, getting to comfort Jesus' other dear friends, his formerly grieving sisters, then someday to get to die again back to the tomb. Quite a life being a close friend of Jesus. Jesus says we need to count the cost of following him. Maybe you've read this proverb. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and should a perfect friend like Jesus come after you to be your friend, when the gospel becomes real, your life can start to be like Paul or Lazarus, things taking a very different path than you planned, your pride being terribly wounded. You and I are sinners. We are guilty before God, and we are in deep need, and we must know it not just in our mind, but believing in our hearts. We have nothing to offer God but repentance, surrender, and obedience from the depths of our newly given hearts to love the Master. Those are wonderful wounds from a friend. What could a friend ever do to you or for you that is more loving, perfect, and glorious than to wound you in that way. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Could any person ever do anything which is a greater blessing than to cause you to believe and love Jesus and his commands and do them for this life and unto eternal life? That's not what the world says. It says just the opposite. Being a Christian is a difficult yoke, a heavy burden, and a waste of your life, opposite of the truth. 
to be a slave of Christ. Oh, what glory that is. A slave of the master. That's not a popular thing to say. And to know all he has heard from the Father, all he commands you as a friend, at its core it is this, to love and serve God and one another. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Greater love has no one than this, that someone way down his life for his friends. Ever heard this expression? I just love him to death. That's what Jesus says about you. He loves you to death on the cross for your sins. So come to him and believe. Know all that the Father has given Jesus, the Master. Become a slave and become a friend. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the one and the only one who can call us out of darkness into your wonderful light. And you can do that glorious thing of opening our hearts to believe what you have clearly given us in your word, that we would know the things from the Father That you would give us that desire for obedience. That desire to say, oh good, here comes my master. To say thank you for making me not only a slave, but a friend, a close personal friend of the master. To whom we can come often and freely to your throne of grace. Who lives in us, who gives us the hope who perseveres us, who helps us to love each other, even our enemies, and try to make them your friend and our friend through the gospel, the glorious gospel. Lord, let it go out. Let it do its magnificent work that all may come to know and believe in this great master, king, savior, and Lord, the prophet, the priest, the king, Jesus Christ, the glorious one. Amen.